us again to the book of Revelation, and we are quickly coming to the close and the conclusion of this great book, Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number 7, and probably uh, just covering down to about verse 10, there's a number of things that really last week in this passage of Scripture that Pastor Tyler and I have already covered, uh, especially down verse 11 concerning the great white throne, going into verse 12 through verse 15. And so it may be that uh, because of last week, if you failed to watch those uh, services, that you could kind of go back and review some of those things. But it's probably that we're going to pass over verse 11 through verse 15 just because we've already covered a large portion of all that's been said here and all that we find in these verses concerning the great white throne and the books and judgment and the dead uh, standing before great and small and no place to hide. I mean, there's a lot of very serious and sober things that we have to look at and think about. And uh, it's uh, a privilege to be able to go through the scriptures. Amen. And yet tonight we want to kind of cover really the title and the thought of our message is the return of Satan. It is not only his return, but also as we see the Bible gives us his eternal fate. And uh, the thousand year millennial reign is over. That has come to a conclusion and a close. And now we have a short window of a satanic opportunity that the devil himself is going to uh, deceive and trick. And he is going to ensnare, if you will, a multitude of people. So much the Bible says, in verse number eight, uh, who is as the sand of the sea, a multitude of people standing in opposition to that final day of judgment as God uh he, he reigns forth his word and his correction and uh, that final judgment upon the wicked. And uh, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think for me personally that one of the most staggering thoughts, it is definitely profound. It's a true picture of the very nature and the core of mankind is after a thousand year millennial reign, utopia on earth as king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And yet still people within their own nature being deceived and being tricked and being uh, led down the wrong path at the end of all of these things that they have been a part of, that they've enjoyed, that they have seen, that they've had the privilege to witness and to, um, uh, to just live in this economy. And yet here they are deceived and they make that choice to reject God, to stand in opposition to God. And it definitely is a picture of the true nature of, of mankind. People, they will have a free will and uh, people, they will still need to turn to Christ. And so those thoughts are definitely key as we look at these verses and uh, we, we hope and pray that this would resonate within our hearts as we think about the end times, as we think about the uh, world coming to a conclusion, as we think about the return of the rapture of Christ. You know, you look at uh, uh, the book of James and you look at... Uh, uh, the book of Hebrews, First uh, and Second, Third John, First uh, and Second Peter. Some of these passages that we find in the New Testament outside of Paul's ministry, and much, much, much of those things definitely uh, deal with the tribulational setting, that period of enduring to the end, having patience, as the Bible says in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter eleven, and uh, uh, continuing to uh, as the Day approaches what the day of the Lord approaches as they see that day of the Lord. And, uh, you know, what are we looking for? What signs are we looking? We're looking uh, unto Jesus 
And uh, as the Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that we're looking for the tribulation. Whereas in the seven year, uh, we're looking for the rapture, not the tribulation. In that seven year tribulation period, they're going to be looking for the signs of his return. And the Bible speaks about that in Matthew uh, chapter 21 and uh, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24 and these signs. And yet the Bible tells us in the book of James that they are to have patience. They are to endure these things. And Revelation speaks of those thoughts as well. And so the, the millennial reign is now um, implemented and coming to an end. And now we have this great uh, deception that's going forth. Satan is loose, the doom of Gog and Magog, and uh, really the four corners of the earth, earth worldwide revolt again, once again standing in opposition to Christ. And so we'll just make a few comments, and uh, as we look at this portion of Scripture, uh, prophetically, uh, how it definitely um, resonates within our heart of uh, just our society and our world and all that we're going through. The Bible says in verse number 7, And when the thousand years were expired. I want to encourage you to circle the word expired. And I want you to look with me in the book of Ecclesiastes this evening, just as a practical note to you. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Verse number one, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal and a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing as what we're doing now. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he, uh, hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? And so there's a time. He says down in verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. God has a time. And there is coming a time when the rapture is going to happen. There is coming a time when uh, the tribulation will start. There is coming a time when it, when it will end. There is coming a time when the thousand year millennial reign of Christ will uh, begin. And there is a time when it will close. And so here we are in verse number 7. And the Bible says that the thousand years are expired. That time has come to an end. Why do I why do I say all of that? I say all of that on a practical note to you, just to be reminded about uh, the virus and about this month and about what we're doing here here at our church. Uh, these things are done for the safety and the well being of one another. And yet, this is uh, a time that we have for short season. It's coming to an end, and when it comes to an end, what a joy and a blessing it will be to serve the Lord together once again at Solid Rock Baptist Church. There's a time. Uh, for everything, many in many cases, I feel that we often have difficulties in discerning the times. As the Bible says, there's a time to, to weep and a time to laugh and a time to speak and a time to refrain from speaking. Many times, open mouth, insert foot, and there it is. Uh, we've said things out of the right time and we've done more damage and harm 
And so I pray that God will help us to have discernment about the times. And yet the thousand years are expired. The Bible says in verse number 7, And Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out. I want to encourage you to underline the two words, going out, to go out. And if you will, look with me in the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, the Bible says in verse number, well, let's see here. Look in verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, Free care for you. Here's the key. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your, devil, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. You can serve those two words. Walketh about. And you can connect them to verse number 8. And shall go out. Walketh about. Going out. He is literally, physically, as we have already seen, the embodiment of Satan himself, the incarnation, the unholy trinity during the tribulational period, and yet here he is once again to go forth. Will he take on another physical form? Most likely to be consistent with the scripture. And yet the Bible says that he shall go out. He shall walk amongst them. He shall do to them as he did to the Lord Jesus Christ. After Christ was fasting for 40 days. As we spoke of this morning in the book of Luke. And physically and, and verbally. Communicating and talking. And the Bible says that this is what Satan is going to do. He is going to deceive. The word deceive, it means to ensnare. To ensnare. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4 this evening. To ensnare. To place in a device. To catch. To attract and allure. To set the hook. Hook, line, and sinker as they would say. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. Down in verse number 4, it says, There's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and the God and the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Why are we talking about all these scriptures? Why are we going to this passage because I want to remind you that the devil would have you not to be educated in the things of God. That he would love so much to keep you out of church and keep you out of unity with the Bible. And keep you hidden from the truth of God's Word. And, and the Bible says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Verse 14, that we henceforth 
Be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slot of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. The devil wants to deceive today just as much as he will desire to deceive then. And oh, it's a true uh, reflection as we look in the scriptures of futuristic times and prophetical times of the deception. And yet it bears witness to the deception of our day. I don't know how long uh, God is going to tarry his coming. I don't know if it's five days, five minutes, 500 years or 5,000 more years. I do know that he's coming and I do know that it's going to get worse as His uh, coming uh, is more in, 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 uh, uh, in, uh, well, as His coming is more closer and closer to us. And yet, as we we think about the the reality of our times, people are deceived. People are deceived today. They believe lies. They believe uh, religion will save them. They believe some kind of merit of their own. They believe. Uh, fairy tales, they, they believe in nothing. They believe in the universe. They believe somehow the universe is going to save them. They believe in trees and uh, nature and, and uh, animal and plant life and animal life. And they believe in the power of uh, a positive thinking. All these different things that deceive people, lie to people and trick people. And yet the Bible says a preacher is speaking the truth in love. He says a pastor is speaking the truth in love. A teacher is speaking the truth in love. An evangelist is uh, uh, speaking the truth in love. Why? That we might grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every good part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let me ask you tonight, are you grounded? If a Jehovah Witness knocked on your door, would you be lost in all of their false teaching? Would you be able to stand there and take the Word of God, the sword, and fight the good fight of faith and stand for the truth and the reality of the Scripture? And yet, this is something that He's always done. He deceives he is always deceived. Look over in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is a great passage that bears witness to this period of time. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 and verse 5, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take ye that no man what? Deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You can look in verse 11 and verse 24. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive Many, verse 24, and there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they they shall deceive the very elect. Notice that. And then he says in verse 25, Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the desert. In the secret chambers. Believe it not. This is the reality of that deception. He's always deceived the Garden of Eden. He's always deceived tricking uh, uh, Samson by the beauty of a woman and the physical uh, attraction of a woman and the smooth uh, companionship and the sexual desires of his own lust of a woman. Deceiving. 
Or even if you will, as Noah uh, got off the boat and he was drunk from alcohol, alcohol throughout the Bible, there's nothing positive that ever comes from it. And the only positive thing that you could find is when Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Use, he uses the word little in that passage. Meaning that there's some discernment with that physical infirmity and that health issue that needed to be attended to. It wasn't telling him it was okay for him to be a drunkard. Noah was deceived. And you know the story how his own daughters had intercourse with him. And just the ungodliness that came forth from that. And there's a multitude of other things that we could talk about. How people are deceived. People are deceived. We think that... Uh, people think that uh, life is better on the other side. That there's more fulfillment in these things. And we're going to be more satisfied. And in many cases... Um, Every case when it's not the Lord, they're left empty, they're left alone, they're left destitute, hopeless, broken down with tears. No one around except themselves. And all the damage has been done. And the Bible tells us that the devil, he's going to go forth and deceive. He's going to go out to deceive. Now that word deception or deceived implies that there's two camps in this thousand year millennial reign. I think there's the camp of those that are going to receive, genuinely receive Christ. Accept Christ and their salvation is similar to ours and yet it's different. It's different on a number of levels because we don't have the physical body and the person of Christ in the flesh with us today to look to for guidance. And yet we have the word of God. And so, uh, in many cases, as the Bible says, there's none, other, there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation in the name of Jesus, that's going to be re-implemented as they're going to believe in that person right there is Messiah. His, his name is Jesus. He saves the sins of, uh, he, he saves us from the sins of our life and ourself. And uh, yet, the other camp are those that are somehow possibly going to fall suit to the laws and the regulations. And yet at the end of this thing, the Bible says they're going to be deceived. Meaning that somehow Satan is going to take, like he's always done, an element of the truth and he's going to twist it. They're following suit with Christ before the devil is let out. And yet that truth is brought to the surface by Satan and he is going to uh, twist it and corrupt it and pollute it. And that's what he's doing with the Word of God. And that's what he's doing now. That's what he's going to do then. And so they're going to believe a lie. Our gospel is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded. He's done that in Paul's day. He's doing it in our day. He'll do it after the millennial reign in his short season is loosed. Satan is loose. That's really my first point to talk about. He's loose. He's loose. He's loose. What does that imply? It implies that for the first time, outside of this 1,000 year captivity and imprisonment and bondage for Satan, he has liberty to do what he do does. To do what he chooses to do. He is loose. There's freedom. You know, why, why, why is there freedom now? Why, why do people, 
um, freedom of sin. You know why? 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 Why is our country falling more in a state of depravity? Because the devil is ruling and reigning, and that's the reality of it. He wants to send more people to hell. He wants more unwicked and ungodly imaginations to come out in tangible lifestyles and to be fulfilled and played out. And, uh, you know, even as we think about money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And no doubt the empire of Satan being built upon the shoulders of a workforce as they love money, as they love money, achieving money, wanting money, taking money. And uh, that's what we're going to see once again, in a, in a sense. These things being uh, fulfilled. The Bible says in verse 8, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. You know, basically when you take, uh, let's say a, a, um, a cow, and you butcher that cow, you cut it up and you divide it as certain meats and parts of that body are laid out on the table and they are good for the eating and the consuming uh, and the taste and the way the meat is cut. You lay that four corners out. It's talking about the entirety of the whole globally, worldwide revolt once again. Standing in opposition, the four quarters of the earth. And then the Bible says these two names, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Gog and Magog. Let me just remind you, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 15 and verse 16, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger and fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and His sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. And I will set a sign among them. And I will send those that escape of them unto nations, to Tarshish, Pull, and Lud, and draw the bow to Tabal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. This is what God is going to do. The Bible says they're going to be gathered together. Verse number 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth. The breadth. That word breadth, it means the measure or uh, the, the measure of any plain surface from side to side. A geographical dimension. Uh, it is the breadth of the earth. They come up. These four corners uniting. Gog and Magog under this empire. And compass the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city, Jerusalem. They surrounded it. Very similar note being in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. As they encompassed, as they surrounded Lot's house. This is the reality. Standing in opposition. You see that thing in a tangible way all across the board when it comes to, when it comes to uh, Christianity. How the world today, in many cases, they, you know, uh, 
many cases, many cases, uh, standing in opposition to Christ. And, I, and I'm grateful that in our day right now, with all of this virus, that people are talking about God. I'm grateful that people are talking about prayer. I, I'm grateful. I, I want this. I, I want revival. But I have to be uh, logical in the sense of how long will it last? Because God has given mercy and grace and God has given opportunity, whether it be 9-11 or whether it be some other judgment. And yet, how quickly do people forget about these things? How quickly uh, our need of God passes by? How quickly do people uh, uh, forget about heaven and hell and, and eternity? And, and I'm grateful that people are thinking about this right now. And we have to do what we can. But there's that skeptic in me to think, here's the reality, it's going to swiftly pass by. People won't be thinking about this if it, if, it, if it doesn't last through the end of summer. Next year, this time, they won't even think about it. They'll be on their merry way. They'll do whatever they want to do. These ungodly uh, uh, organizations will be open once again for work and business. If one bar shuts down, another one down the road will, will, will rise up because it's a true testimony of the heart. And the entire measure of, of this geographical location of earth, the breadth of earth, the uh, dimension, dimension of earth, these people coming forth, surrounding, compass the camp. I like that word camp. I hope you underline that word camp. The Bible says verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp. The camp. All throughout the Bible you see that kind of mention. Which direction you're pitching your tent. What camp are you in? Sin in the camp. Whose camp are you in this evening? I know even in religious uh, groups there's certain camps. Well, let me just remind you that if you're blood if you're saved, if you know the Lord, you're in the right camp. And there's only one camp. These divisions sometimes in America, in our world, that want to separate Christianity. You like this music, and they like this music. You have TV screens in your church, and we don't have TV screens in our church. These preachers that want to get on Facebook and fight and fuss with one another about stupid, silly things. Have we not forgotten that we're all in one camp? We're in the Lord's camp. We need to be serving Christ and serving Christ together. Unified and doing what we should be doing. But people are fussing and fighting over dumb little things. I don't have time for it. I'd rather work all day and spend time with my family and time in the Word of God. Time with my church than fuss and fight about dumb things. I'm glad I'm in His camp. I'm going camping with Jesus. Somebody said the other day for his birthday he wanted to go camping. Well, I'm going camping with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I don't know how that fits, but it's good. The camp of the saints. They compass the camp. Dwelling places. Uh, familiarity, community, family. Standing in opposition to all of that lifestyle. And then the Bible says the beloved city. The beloved city. I was watching the other night how this time of the year in Jerusalem, 
The streets would be just filled, jam-packed with uh, sojourners from all over the world, Christians that wanted to see the actual tomb. Not the resting place, but the empty tomb of Jesus. And today, because of the virus, they were talking about on this, uh, I believe it was 700 Club, how the streets are empty and no one's there. And certain buildings are closed. And the Wailing Wall, they're just a small amount of people are allowed to go in and 10, 15 feet away from one another. Well, let me remind you of this beloved city. And then the Bible so profoundly states, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Hmm. The walls of Jericho came down. The great sea, that water, that body of water that stopped the nation of Israel from going to the other side when Pharaoh's soldiers were, were hunting them down. Guess what? It split. And they went through on dry land to the other side. And the Bible says that the body of water swallowed the, the enemies of God up. It's amazing. God's always took care of His people. He's always taken care of His people. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. You think about the angel of death in the Old Testament as that Horrible night in one sense of the word. If you did not know the Lord, if you did not have the blood applied to the post, can you imagine waking up, hearing the screams and the cries of your children dying because you were so foolish to give stock and to give ear and to give your life to the, to the uh, concerns of the world more than the concerns of God. And yet, to be on the other side of that camp. Praise God. To be in the camp of the nation of Israel. And that night. When there was a holy hush. And there was a soberness. And, and they stood in awe of the power of God. And the word of God. And as the angel of death. Came upon house. Upon house. Upon house. Upon house. In the, in the darkness of the night. The quietness of night. Some were taken. And some were left. And it all had to do with their relationship concerning the blood. Isn't it wonderful to know that God takes care of us? He takes care of us. He loves us. He sees us. More than, more than we can even imagine, He does. He cares so greatly for us. And yet, this is the reality. Verse number 8. The Bible says, and shall go out to deceive. Verse number 9, fire came down from God out of heaven to devour them. Devour! To consume it! To swallow it whole! There wasn't a single piece of clothing left. I believe that's exactly what it means. Their flesh, their presence... If there was any kind of military might standing there with them in that prophetical day against that beloved city, against God, against Jesus, tanks, armor, you name it, fire came down from heaven. 
And the Bible says, let me remind you in verse number 8, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. As the sand of the sea. It was, if you will, a bloodless battle. That's exactly what it was. Because he consumed it all. He consumed it with his fire. You think about 9-11 when the buildings in New York City burst into flames as the airplane flew right into the side of that building, those two buildings, and then within a short period of time, people literally jumping from windows and falling hundreds, thousands of feet to their death. And then not too long after that, buildings collapsing. I remember seeing pictures. I bought as many magazines as I could. I still have them in my office. I wanted my kids to see it. I wanted to remember it. And watching uh, on television and seeing pictures of people's bodies covered in ash. Buildings and, and cars and automobiles and and and. and Anything and everything that you could think of for, for such a large uh, radius around that place covered in ash. And then as the dust kind of settled and it took such, I, I can't remember, four or five days before it finally settled. If, if even that short of a period of time. But it finally settled. And then seeing all of the rubbish. The Bible says that they were consumed. Not a single atom left. Not a single spot of ash left. Consumed. Then the Bible says in verse 10. And this is where we're at tonight. This is the reality of it all. And the devil that deceived them. Hmm. I hope that breaks your heart tonight when you look at it. The devil that deceived them. You know people that are deceived tonight? Hopeless and helpless. Empty and lost. Oh, they're so passionate in what they believe. They're so so passionate in their perspective and their ideology or their philosophy. They're so passionate in their lifestyle and their sin, their agenda. So passionate about it. Nancy Pelosi, oh, she... She's so passionate. She really needs Jesus. She needs Christ. Other ones that are so passionate in their agenda. Passionate to the point of, of even physical harm that they would do. To hurt someone because they're so passionate. Cutting with their words or, or lashing out in a physical way. So passionate. About something, some 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 little topic, some thing that they think is right, and they they're so far from the truth. These ungodly people that want to kill and murder and and continue to do more with with the subject of abortion, so passionate. They're deceived, and that's what's sad. The devil he doesn't care about them. He just wants to deceive them. 
And then they're gone. That's the summary of his fate. That's the end of his existence. Not in the sense of eternal being root, uh, being eternal annihilated, but his existence to deceive, his existence to 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 be. Why why does the devil exist? He exists for one purpose, and that is to deceive. That's why he has to be bound. That's why he has to be cast off. That's why he has to go uh, to, to, to hellfire, lake of fire. That's why he has to find this eternal punishment. Punishment. Hell was made for the devil and the demons of hell. Why? Because without that place, they'll continue to do what they're made to do. What they've chosen to be made to do. They've made the sin. They've created the sin. They've re- rebelled. They've originated the pride. This is... I will, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. It marks the introduction of sin into the universe. Luke chapter 10, verse 18 says that he was cast out of heaven. He makes it to the earth and the air. And yet this is his tireless activity. His tireless activity. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. You think the devil gets tired? I don't think he rests one bit. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, now working. Where? In the children of disobedience. He's got his children. He's got his family. He's got his family tree. You know, God knows the end of this thing. God knows those that are on the, uh, the wrong side and those that are on his side. And the devil's got his children. Thank God I'm in the family of God. Amen? How about you? He says, verse 10, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Brimstone. Lake of fire. I think probably the closest that I could ever come to that, to understand that, to really begin to see that, was when my house burnt down. I can't imagine. I, I, I heard a story one time of a firefighter that went in to save a young man. And the young man, his body was burnt so much that as he was leaving the building, his skin began to literally melt and fall off as the firefighter had him in his arms onto the firefighter's jacket. His skin was burnt so much that it would begin to, to melt off onto the man's jacket. To have no hope. Our lakes around here. Our place of, of happiness and joy and tranquility and peace and fun and memories. To have a boat and to take your family to enjoy fishing and hunting and scenery. There's a sense of, of, of peace that comes to the body and to the mind. To remove stress. To get away from the hustle and bustle. And as we say in Michigan, pure Michigan. And that statement implies all of those things, what Michigan brings and provides to the, to the mind, to the body, to the family. And yet this is not a, a, a lake of peace. It's not a lake of, it's a lake of fire. A lake of fire. A continual burning in brimstone. Brimstone. These, these stones that literally would fall upon the devil himself. 
crush into his body throughout eternity. Brimstone. That has to mean more than just a, a word. You know. They stoned people in the Old Testament, did they not? They took Stephen out in the book of Acts. When they stoned him to death, did they not? Well, the devil's got his stones coming and they're filled with fire. And I don't know how this lake is going to play out, but it's a lake cast off into the lake of fire. It says where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You look down in verse number 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's it. I hope that if nothing else, these few weeks that we've had here at our church of revival stirred your heart to look at prophetical events and to think in a tangible way such as the chaos and confusion, the fear, uh, the worry, uh, the loss of food and toilet paper and uh, hand sanitizer and what have you. The loss of of comfort in our home and businesses continuing to press on and economical collapse and all of these things, it definitely stirs my heart to think. As I preach, I want to preach with passion. I want to, I want to speak with these things in a, in, in, in a visual way. I can see these things happening. And yet I'm grateful. I, I'm not going to be here. Praise the Lord for that. But do you know someone, you know... I know, I know people can't, people aren't going to church because of the virus, but even if the virus wasn't here, I left a subdivision tonight filled with 30, 40, 50 homes in my cul de sac, people out playing ball, people out washing their trucks, people out riding bikes. It's the same old story. No wonder God is. Allowing certain things to come in our life. We need woken up. We need to see the reality of what is and what is not. No wonder he's going to come back with a two-edged sword that's going to proceed out of his mouth and literally it's going to annihilate him at the city of Armageddon. In the battle of Armageddon. And yet... He's so, he's so touchable. And he's so invitable. He is not too busy that he can't hear you. He doesn't see you. God's grace has allowed us to come boldly to the Lord. Have a relationship with Christ. You know, He is that shepherd that goes after that one lost sheep. He is a God that's going to burn Sodom and Gomorrah down to the ground as He did in the Old Testament. Someday in the future, He's going to do that with God and make God. And yet, He's the God that's in Gethsemane. And He's praying. Not my will, but thine be done. He's the God that 
reaches down to the ground and picks the ear up that Peter cut off the soldier's head. He puts it back on the man's head and touches his body. He is the God that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's mind-boggling. It's, it's saddening. It's disheartening to think, why would someone not come Jesus. After all he's done, after all he will do, with all that he gives, hope and life and victory, purpose and meaning, and yet still people say no. Tonight, if you're listening and you don't know Christ, I would encourage you, please, come to Jesus before it's too late. And it may be that this message and the messages that we've had online, who knows when the rapture happens. It could be that after we're gone, someone's watching this. Someone's going back through the messages here at our church and viewing things online. And I would say to you, oh, you better turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray you would help us to be patient. Lord, patient with those that we've been praying for for years. God, that we would be faithful. Lord, that you would help us today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives to serve you. God, help us to take a stand. And Lord, we know how awesome you are. We understand to some degree the power in which you're capable of performing. God, I just, I think when I read passages like this, it just, it just makes me want to say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I want you to be happy with my life. God, I want I want to do something with my life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts, God, that you would somehow solidify all of this in our thinking, our thoughts, our mind, that we would, we would just meditate upon the goodness of God and your power. Lord, to be convicted, do more for you. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.